What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about bass FAQs, a lost set of keys, celebrities that like to bass fish, and a roller coaster tournament in Florida. Hope you guys enjoy. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. Thanks, bro. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I'm in Florida. Rob's at home, and Nick is just a black picture, so no one knows where he's at. But <laughs> thank you all for tuning in. We're going to be a couple hours late because we're actually recording this on Monday. Typically, we would post these things late Sunday night or Monday morning, but we're together. It's kind of mid-morning Monday, and uh, hopefully this thing is up within you know an hour or two after recording. But thanks, as always, for tuning in, and uh, let's go around and see what's happening. Rob, since I can see you, what, what's up your way, dude? Not a whole lot. Nothing's really changed. Um... I was telling Nick when you were fetching a new cable for your microphone that I have so many questions I want to ask you, but since we're in the middle of the tournament, um, I have to be careful. So you're going to have to lead uh, what's going on at the tournament. So uh, I'm sure people are really anxious to hear, you know, what happened yesterday. You had a phenomenal day, uh, a lot of fun to watch, uh, along with Brett. Um, that was ridiculous what Brett did the first yeah, day. Unbelievable, and unbelievable, dude. And again, yesterday too. So pretty cool. Hilarious. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. And so for the listeners that don't know, the reason that you're, you're saying it that way is like, I can't get during the middle of the tournament, I can't get any outside info. So you don't want to ask a question that would lead into me learning something about maybe what another angler is doing or something like that. Right. right. And with, and w- with me watching a ton of the live, I could be like, Oh, I saw so-and-so do this. And it just, oh. it wouldn't, yeah, it would be it would be a bad situation. So we're, I'm just going to stay as quiet as I can about the tournament, but want you to say what you can say, which would be yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll talk because I've had a roller coaster of a tournament, and uh, you know some tournaments you learn more than others, and I've learned a lot this week. So there might be a couple things that pass over to to the listeners on on lessons that I've learned just in a couple days of fishing so far. Um, so that's cool. It's cool you've been watching a little bit of live, man. Everything else going good? Have you been riding your bike? Yeah, I've been mountain biking quite a bit, uh, which is just awesome. I'm starting to feel good again on the bike. And um, I know it's pretty random to talk about mountain biking on a fishing podcast, but I just, it's something I enjoy. And at 50 years old, it's, uh, it keeps me, uh, keeps me in decent shape. Uh, yeah, that's so, great, man. Yeah. That's an awesome, awesome sport to be Dude, in. Dude, and how about how nice the weather got? I can only imagine your little early morning bike rides have been exceptional lately. Yeah, yesterday morning was actually chilly. Like, yeah. imagine imagine that in late May. So, pretty wild. That's great. Yeah, That's cool. pretty cool. How about you, Nick? Uh, <clears throat> Nick sent us some videos this morning of his son, who's been up since 2 a.m. crawling around in, in Screaming. Uh, the office. So, that sounds fun. Yeah, well, you know, I've just kept my seat warm as the lead engineer on the Hot Mess Express. <laughs> and this week has been just, you know, 
another round of making the stops along the train of crazy. But uh, I need to, usually I try to just embarrass myself in these opening little talks. And uh, I think I'm going to try and embarrass my dad. Luckily, I don't think he ever listens to these. So I'm going to tell you uh, an embarrassing story about him, which ultimately will just reflect embarrassment on myself. So yesterday, uh, we're just all hanging out in the morning. And uh, um, I take my kids across the street to our neighbor's house. We're good buddies with them now. And uh, this group of people walked by the street. And uh, I waved to him. And I didn't realize my dad was in the mix with them. He had gone for a walk by himself. So I wasn't expecting him to see him come back with other people. So the other neighbor comes like fast up. She's like, did you just see your dad? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, your dad, he just walked by and he had blood all over his face. Good. What? So then I like panicked. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I felt terrible. I didn't see him. And like, so now there's this whole just thing. Just kept going. Dude. So like fast forward, um, I get him on the phone and sure enough, he he took a face plant and oh. he just opened up his, his eyebrow. And oh like, no. So it was like, it was still fresh. We're like, oh my God, like, is this guy going to be okay? Like, we figured out how to like my wife came and stay with the kids. So then I got home and was like, dude, let's go. Luckily, ironically, the neighbor's house we're at is a doctor. He's a foot doctor. And this was a head injury, but you know, close enough. Close enough. And so he was like, we were like getting ready to take him to urgent care because he figured he just needed a couple of stitches and on his way. And uh, he's like, no, I wouldn't do that. They have those like um, emergency rooms, but they're not part of a hospital. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those. They're actually pretty sweet. They, uh, they have everything like a hospital, but they just don't have like long-term beds. Nice. Yeah. So they're sweet. Like, they're sweet until you get your, uh, your bill. So that's the best part of it, right? Is that you have this experience and then a month later you'll get dinged for like 10 grand and, and, and we've lost Josh, but that's okay. It's time for me to talk. So 45 minutes from now, this episode will end and we'll be good. I'm still here. Oh. He's, he's just telling me to stay back cause I'm super loud in my mic, huh? Yeah, for, for some reason, Rob's mic is just booming, and uh, <laughs> we have no idea why. Yeah, well, somehow we got to number eight in Maricopa County for fishing podcast in spite of ourselves. So we're Maricopa County. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, dude, so I take my dad to this hospital, and, you know, we didn't clean his face. We figured, all right, let's let, because there's a lot of blood, like, let's let the professionals do this, and so... I'm sitting there with my dad who's got his face all opened up and you know, for the listeners, everyone knows like he lives with us and uh, he, he just recently regained, you know, a single status. So he's like majorly out on the chase. I sat there while this old man got eight stitches in his head and he got the number of the nurse who did it in front of his <laughs> adult son. No, he didn't. Dude, I'm texting my brother, the green puke emoji. Like, you know, the first text from brother was like, looks like he's going to survive this one. Don't spend your inheritance yet. And then it was like, not only is he going to survive this one, like he's pulling a phone number out of the nurse who's cleaning smooth, his face. Man. Dude. <laughs> Did like, he tell what? he got in a fight? Yeah, oh, dude, every joke you could think of, he was throwing at her. And that was one of them. He told that to the neighbor who saw him all bloodied up in the street. So pretty, pretty funny. Good to know that the old man still got game because he's just out there. It's hilarious. What a but, uh, dude, That's I also so went fishing on Saturday. I went to Roosevelt and, uh, you know, there's a wild West teams tournament out there and 22 and change won it. So obviously the lake is fishing good, but man, I had a great day. Uh, in spite of the fact that hurricane force winds started blowing in the afternoon, it still was awesome. 
That's cool. Tell us about it, man. How, uh, how did you catch him and what did you catch? Yeah, man. Well, I, uh, I, I just threw top water all day. Even when the wind was just blowing, I just tied on a giant white bone spook and nice. just fished into the nastiest stuff I could. And man, I had two fish emerge that I was unable to hook. And one of them, dude, hands down, was the biggest smallmouth I've ever seen. Oh, like, wow. I'm not trying to exaggerate, and I'm usually one to try and underplay things. But believe me when I tell you that this big, nasty, black smallmouth, emer- you know, I was fishing into the wind and like real steep rock banks because I figured, you know, I don't know, like that tournament had pressure on everything. And my brother, of course, was fly fishing. He was with me. My brother was fishing in 900 mile an hour winds, casting as good as I was. Like it was. He's a stud. Impressive. He's a hell of a fly fisherman. But so, anyways, this smallmouth emerges and like its back was even out of the water as the waves were like crashing over it. Like and sharking just, behind the bait? Exactly. And I couldn't get him to commit. And I know if my brother would have got his fly in there, that fly is so fishy, dude. It would have ate. I just, he did, he knew enough to know the spook wasn't what he wanted, but he was in just like vulnerable, angry mode. Dude, it was the one time my brother was snagged in a bush and you know, the 300 oh, mile hour winds are wrecking boat control. And that's what it was. And that fish, I, so I twitched it and just tried to get him and I pulled him out like 40 feet off the bank and then he finally gave My up God. on it so, dude i got a good look at him though he was massive <laughs> smallmouth fishing with top water and i know you weren't just exclusively small fishing but it can be so frustrating because that does get their curiosity and so often like sometimes they'll do that so often they just blow up dude but their mouths are a lot smaller and like dude you'll have giant smallmouth do cartwheels around your walking <laughs> bait and you, you hook a lot less of them than you do largemouth it's annoying Nick, you know what's funny is Boyd uh, and his buddy Clay fished that tournament, and they had a very similar story with a smallmouth and a zero spook. So, oh, man. Yeah, it, pretty felt, interesting. it felt right, you know what I mean? And then I also had a, a really large, large mouth that uh, I just couldn't get him to commit to it either. And, wow. uh, dude, there's some piggies in Roosevelt. And I caught one that was like a solid four first thing on on a top water and uh, nice just had a fun day dude caught a lot of fish and you know like fishing is just fun but when you get to go to the lake and know that like you pretty much only need to throw top water the entire day you're already that much more excited dude like i slept at the ramp the night before and i hardly could sleep because like i know tomorrow i only need one rod on the deck and i'm just i don't care if it's a 900 mile an hour wind and it makes no sense i'm still just gonna throw top water because i feel like you know i caught one out of such deep water it came up like you could see you could count down from five like five four three and then just a cannonball you were on watching it. It him like, swim up yeah and it was like it's it like a three pounder it wasn't anything that big but the audio of the eat and that you know and then they're they're angry fish man they fight hard and uh it was just it was glorious man what a great time that's cool great call on going up there and just and putting that rod in your hand dude like i don't think you could could call it any better than doing that right now, man. As far Thanks. as a prime lake to go through top water all day, that was perfect. So then I got a little like I, I know the wind was helping me as much as it was hurting me, right? I'm sure it was positioning them, making them get a little, you know, more vulnerable. But I, in my mind, I was like, I wish it was flat calm so I could just like be where I want to be and do what I want to do and feel like the top water really was, you know, attracting the attention it deserved. But hey. It's all good. When you only get to go out every now and then, you take what you get and you're thankful for it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great day, man. That's awesome, dude. How, how did the fly work? What did Cody catch? 
So the time we went six weeks ago or whenever that was, he whooped my butt. And I only threw top water that day. And I think it was just a little early. And this time around, you know, I, I was able to outpace him. But dude, he still did great. He caught nothing, nothing large. I think what happens to him is that there's, you know, it's a healthy lake. So there's a bunch of small fish. And uh, the small ones don't get hooked on a big top water. They just annoy you and slap at it. But dude, they eat the crap out of his fly. So like what happens is, is I think those little ones get to it before anything. Sure. You know, he caught a couple pushing two and a half pounds, maybe one close to three. And then nine million, like eight to 12 inches because they're just, they're up there, you know. But he had a good time. What a good lake, dude. I'll tell you what, like oh, what's, what's, what's interesting is, I, you know, I fish a lot of the lakes, the best lakes around the country in May, and it's a tough month. It's like post-spawn. Uh-huh. The weights are down a little bit from what they were and then even what they will be in June, and it's pretty dang prime in Arizona. Like, it's it, our lake's just set up a little bit differently where, like, the fall can be really, really good, and then, like, post-spawn in Arizona can be really good where, like, like well, where we're at here in Florida, it's fair, but it's not great. And uh, they just had a tournament at Chickamauga, a big five tournament, relatively tough. Bass fished at Gunnersville, relatively tough for Gunnersville. But like Roosevelt, those weights that they just had in that tournament, they're as good as they'll be anytime. Dude, that's, yeah. And you know, our last episode, we talked about the shad spawn. And so I could hear you and Rob's wisdom echoing in my head. And it's like the first spot of the day that we started on, um, confident if there was a shad spawn going on i was unaware of it i didn't see any of the signs and in my mind i knew i was like this is what we're talking about right first light like find that thing but showing up to a lake that size and just like randomly landing on a shad spawn would be like buy a lottery ticket lucky but uh dude the first bank we started on that lake is just fishy right now dude we got like five going down the bank and the first one was the biggest of the day and i'm like this is amazing (laughs) like i'm just gonna like run away from home and live in a van and just live at the ramp at Roosevelt. And That'd be a good place to, out. to to do it for the next couple of years, dude. Dude, my goodness. Josh, what do you have? What do you have behind you there? What is, it looks like a, a hubcap on the wall and. <laughs> dude, I'm in, we're in this rental house and um, I'm afraid to move my computer because I'm ha- we're all having audio issues this morning. It took us 15 minutes to- and we still don't have it figured out, but <laughs> I'm holding the mic in place because I don't want to lose connection, but I'm just like in this secondary kind of living space off, off the side of this house we're staying in. And it's actually Roy's room that he's staying in this week. And it's a sign. It says snapper. snapper. I don't know what snapper is. It's a type of fish. You should see this room I'm in, guys. Like it, it's Gerald always books the houses, and he brings Maggie. Maggie comes with him, uh, so they get the you know the best room, which we want them to have the best room. They book it. They're here, the two of them. None of us have our wives, other than Gerald. So um, we all, the three of us, pick from the other three rooms, and we all just try to be fair about it. Like I get the next best room one week. I'll I'll try to take the you know, the smallest one or whatever, but you guys wouldn't believe the room I'm staying in. It is, it is like a closet. It's a closet. (laughs) It's got a queen size bed in it. And that is the room. Like there is no, I'm not, when I say there's not an inch to either side of the queen bed, there's not an inch. That's what you get for not making any cuts, bro. 
The only Dude, I got thing in there, in the closet. The only other I, thing in there, bro, is a uh, water heater, and I can just get to hear it right <laughs> by my head. I should. I'll post it on the on Instagram. You guys That's awesome. Watch. Dude, I I got one funny story I can talk about. Am I really loud still? If you st- stand back, I don't think it's bad. Okay. We'll see what the listeners think. But so I. I think I can talk about this. It was it was from watching the live. They were on Roy Hawk, and Roy was questioning his his um, official on how Gerald was doing. Whoever is in his group, right? Yeah. Like that yep. rooms with you guys. He was questioning him all yep. this. Gerald and his his official goes, "Are you going to ask me all day about the guys you're sleeping with?" <laughs> oh. That, I heard about that. That's hilarious, dude. <laughs> Classic. They were, were always a little embarrassed, but I'm like, dude, it's actually funny. Like, it's hilarious, dude. It was awesome. Yeah, he shouldn't be embarrassed. It was. It, <laughs> that's on the official, dude. That's like just a classic. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a good so. one. I heard about that actually, dude. That's funny. Right on. How about the? You heard it. How about the wallets? The wallet and the keys, dude. Do you want to talk about that? Oh yeah, good good memory there. So, uh, before we get into the fishing, one other silly thing about the dynamic in our house here is uh, we've had James Elam on. He's another one of the guys that stays with us in the house. And uh, James, everyone's got their little weird things, right? James has this unbelievable ability to lose his wallet and keys. And there's been so <laughs> he's many He's one times, of those people. Dude, he's a very organized guy. But, like, he must just put his wallet and keys in some random places. Like, and he just loses them constantly. So – this week, the first day of practice, you know, we get up at like five o'clock and we're barely awake and James is tearing the house apart, <laughs> trying to find his wallet. So we're all at that point tearing the house apart. We, we go into Gerald's truck, who we were in Gerald's truck the night before. We're tearing that apart. We're looking through the grass with flashlights. Can't find his wallet. So <laughs> he's probably stressed out all day. I'm like ready to go to the ATM and and start taking withdrawals to get some cash out because there's a max and he's going to need like a thousand bucks to get home in gas or, or, you know, a lot, a lot, dude, with gas prices right now, at least 500. So we're all like planning on how, and he's going to, he's like, <laughs> oh, dude, I'm going to get a driver's license and, and reorder my credit cards and cancel my credit cards and blah, 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 blah. It's just a mess. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's, <laughs> and he's also trying to figure out the fish, you know, and be yeah, focused and on fishing the first day of the t- practice. So at the end of the day, we come in and we're like, damn, we got to find his wallet. It's got to be here somewhere. And Gerald's like, I'm going to find this thing. And he goes into James' bedroom and just lit, there's a hat on the coffee table. And he lifts the hat. And no. It's underneath the hat, dude. No. All that. But <laughs> the worst one was last year. He can't find his keys. And uh, we're like, look, same thing. Tearing the house apart, looking for the keys. And uh, I notice his hat and wallet are on the counter right above the trash can. Uh. And I'm like, man, have you checked the trash? And everyone, myself included, I'm like, dude, there's no reason for it to be in the trash, but everything's just above the trash. So the trash had just been taken out, of course. Uh. Um, So, dude, he goes out there and starts cutting open and looking through freaking trash in the uh, dumpster outside. Sure enough, dude, it's in there, man. They had gotten swept <laughs> off the counter by someone cleaning the counter into the trash, but thank God the freaking trash guy hadn't come yet, man. It was trash day, and uh, oh. his keys were in the damn trash bag. Oh. 
Dude, that reminds me. There's an episode of uh, Impractical Jokers, like an early one, and Sal loses, and they uh, they put him on like a garbage barge that's like floating across <laughs> the freaking whatever that like you know New York City harbor or whatever, and he's out there just like wading through these bags of garbage looking for his new cell phone for like 20 minutes, and then the barge is like going out to sea. He's just on this thing full of trash. And then they're like, oh, dude, your cell phone was right here all the time. Why are you over there on that boat, like, surrounded <laughs> with garbage? <laughs> oh, I bet that was nice digging That's through. That's great. Trash. If you like that guy, I've heard he's on a – Sal, I've heard he's got a podcast with a, another Uh-oh. comedian. And they just do food battles. And they, they each pick a food. <laughs> one of them will say, I like Cheetos better. And one will say, I like Cheez-Its better. And they battle each other on why the Cheez-Its or Cheetos are better. And they get so animated. They scream at each other and stuff. They, they... That's why you know the internet is the best invention in mankind's history. Because things like that exist. That sounds about as random as our podcast talking. So. <laughs> it probably does. Yeah, we're 30 minutes in already. Yeah. About nonsense. Let's um, talk about fishing. Let's talk about it. Yeah, what so you got going real quick i'll go into the tournament and then uh, we have some listener feedback and uh, some other things we'll bring up but um you know i've had a roller coaster of a week so far it everyone knows i've been frustrated so far this season because i've been riding on the cut and then falling short in basically dang near every tournament so far so it's been frustrating we're almost halfway through the year and i haven't broken through yet and the first day was the same man you know uh, we're here on the harris chain and in practice, you have two days of practice, and then the tournament day goes so quick. There's, it's, you cannot move from lake to lake in the tournament because it takes so long with idle zones and stuff. It can take an hour to go from one lake to another. So you, the one thing you need to do before you start is pick the right lake. You have to be in the right lake that you're comfortable with to pre-fish and fish the tournament because there's no going back and there's no changing halfway through. So I start practice in Lake Eustis and uh, my plan was to fish some, some shell beds and stuff. And I was hoping to find just two or three glorious shell beds where I could crank <laughs> them on a deep crankbait and uh, fire up a school and potentially catch 10 or 20 good ones in a row. And I fish in there for like an hour the first day. And it had been really, really windy leading up to practice. And it was really windy through all of practice. The lake was just stirred up. The water didn't look good. I didn't feel right about it. So it was my chance right there to, to go to another lake and make, and still utilize basically all of practice. So I went to Lake Griffin. And it, the reason, I, the reason I'm, I'm fishing in there is it's just the most fertile, healthy lake on the chain. It's got the most grass. It's the farthest run. You actually lose almost an hour of fishing time getting there in the morning, but it's just, it's the lake that you know that the fish are in there to do really well. And you don't have to get extra fancy or cute. You just fish and, and you'll eventually run into them. That's how I saw it anyways. So I settle on Griffin. I'm, I'm fishing a lot of deep hydrilla and stuff like that across these big vast flats. And throughout practice, I find two places I drill a spots that I think are pretty dang good. They're both like, they're about a thousand yards apart from each other. And they're the size, each one is the size of a football field. Uh, and I catch, you know, in like an hour of fishing both spots in practice, I catch like five good ones off each spot, which tells me like, okay, if, if I'm patient all day, I can, 
I can put the trolling motor down and, and have a good day just milking these. Well, and I just, I find some other random stuff. I find a few flipping fish and just, you know, a couple other hydro spots where I maybe catch one, nothing good. Well, I go to the first one of these good spots, the first morning of the tournament, I catch one on like my third cast and I fish for an hour and a half without another bite. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. They're gone. So I start running these other ones. I run the second best one, hour and a half, not a bite. And I'm, I'm way behind. I'm already in like 35th, dude. And I'm 10 pounds out of the cut. And I go just to save, to try to save the day and stay in the game. I, I, I go to flipping and I end up catching like 14 pounds flipping or 12 pounds flipping to bring me up to 14 pounds. And it just kind of salvaged the day. I was a pound out of the cut in like 24th, which is fine. But the pit in my stomach was from, not knowing how the heck, like that flipping stuff, I didn't think was going to hold up. And now my best stuff is trashed. You know, like there's no fish there. This fish had left. And what blew my mind was there was still a lot of bait there. The wind had been blown out of the east every day. And it still continued blown out of the east the first day of the tournament. The water looked fine. The, sh the shad and the bait were still there. The grass still looked good. The fish had just vacated. I have no idea where they went. They, they went to some other grass somewhere else. But um, pretty frustrating. There were a couple guys in the area, that general area with me, and they completely sucked uh, on that grass as well. So the fish were just gone. The next day, I start on, on another place where I had caught maybe one, don't catch anything. And then dude, miraculously, my second stop, I show up and it's loaded. And, uh, it's just another hydrilla spot where I had had one bite in practice. And I catch like eight or 10 scoreable fish in the first period. And I, I cruise all the way back up to like 15th place. And uh, I'm in the cut by 11 pounds. So I'm stoked. And I'm telling myself, okay, well, I, I had figured in my head what it was probably going to take to make the cut. And I'm only five pounds from that. And I start the second period and I catch one right off the bat. And then I go an hour without a bite. And I'm telling myself, man, Maybe it's a feeding spot. You know, there was some surface activity there. And I'm like, maybe it was, it's just an early morning spot. I'm sitting here starting to bleed out. I'm already losing ground. I've lost four pounds. Now I'm only in the cut by seven. And those flipping fish were there yesterday. If I can just go, if I can leave and just go catch four or five of those flipping fish, I'll make the cut. I can be aggressive and just not, not let the cut come back to me. So I leave and I go flipping and I catch nothing. Literally, I go down all my best catches and I catch two one sevens and uh, one eight's the minimum weight. So I catch nothing. And now the period is almost over, second period, and I'm in 20th place on the cut. So out of desperation, I'm like, well, I got nothing else. I need to go back. So I run back and there's another tournament angler on that spot. And it's a small spot. It's the size of half a basketball court, this grass. It's way offshore, but it's, it's a small little spot and all around it is no good. So I'm about to throw up, dude. I have nothing else to do. I, just, <laughs> I run to the bank and start flipping the bank there and waiting to see what he's going to do. And I watch him catch a scorable and I'm like, he ain't leaving. He's a very good yeah. angler and he's very keen. He's not going to leave. And he's not only am I in 20th, he's in 21st. Oh, good. <laughs> and he can congratulate him as he bumps you. Good job. So, I'm literally about to throw up. I'm mad at myself. I go to get on pad. I'm like punching the steering wheel. I don't even know where I'm going. 
and I like run by and I realized he had slid off like a hundred yards off the spot. So I'd whip around and pull in and I'm like, holy smokes, I can't believe he left. And he's, he's just, now he's just fishing down the grass line. So I pull in and the period ends and I'm just like blown away that I get a second shot at this place. I don't know if they're going to bite, but dude, the third period comes around and I caught him on a, a vibrating jig in the morning. Third period comes around and uh, I pull out a smaller lipless. I had been throwing a, a, a big lipless and I pull out a smaller lipless and uh, like first cast of the period fish, second cast of the period fish, third cast of the period fish. And they just, they just lit up the We're school chewing. lit back up and had a great period ended up making the cut easily. I moved up to eighth place, but just Hell a yeah. miracle that that guy had moved on and what an idiot I am like all this long, long boring story to just say like <laughs> never leave the fish when you're when you've got the fish when you're on the fish like i can't believe i left and, and you would think 20 years of tournament experience i wouldn't know that i just thought i was fishing aggressively i thought it was going away but in hindsight dude i should have never never have left especially when you got a guy and, and the guy was within eye shot of me he could see me from like 500 yards away catching all the fish in the first period of course he's going to come over there and, and, and jump on that spot. And I don't blame him one bit. So it was just a stupid move on my part. And I got very lucky that I was able to get it back. And, and dude, I wore it out as hard as I could because I want to, hopefully I got an early enough boat number to get there first the next day. Not that he's going to try to beat me there, but there might be someone in the other group. So that's what you don't know. Huh? Yeah. Go ahead. How, Bob. How, how close were you to, um, estimating the cut line you said early on in the in that day you were think did you did you estimate it pretty close to what it ended up being the cut Here's line what's scary no i i was like 10 pounds short the cut doubled and went up by 10 pounds unreal yeah so unreal. like typically you can just double it maybe add a couple pounds and i thought these were going to be worse conditions this is how much i know about fishing in florida i thought without the breeze it was the first hot still muggy no wind day that we had and i thought it would be tougher than the windy day so and the guys in the house agreed with me they're like it's gonna be tougher when it's flat um dude sure enough they bit 10 times better in the still conditions really weird yeah but that lake to me looks like like saguaro on steroids the way the fish bite and the way one guy on one end of the lake can be wrecking them and a guy <laughs> you know on the other end doesn't even see a bass it's so one thing is really weird is it's very specific. There's so much dead water. It's so specific. You could spend hours combing grass flats hours yeah. and not catch anything. And then you do, you get in that one little area, the size of a basketball court that's got all the life in it. And the only difference is maybe the grass grows one foot higher or the grass is a little patchier or it's a little thicker and that's it. And, and you know, I'm just speculating cause I don't know what Brett's doing and you can't tell me what Brett's doing but he is the ultimate. I've seen, I know where he's fishing. I've seen him. I've ran by him. And Brett Height had 82 pounds the first day with an eight-pounder. And um, he's the ultimate at making a grid out of these of these hydrilla lakes. When there's hydrilla or grass and it's it's just a bunch of flats, he's the most patient. And it's, it's a simple game plan he has, but he's the only one with the gall to go out and just do nothing but throw a vibrating jig and literally make a grid out of the lake and he always finds the best grass patch every time uh -huh. and and he's he's been quiet 
until you find a tournament like this and then he wins. It's, it's unbelievable. It is unreal what he does. It's pretty impressive. Yep. It's such a simple game plan, but, but, but then you're, you know, you're doing it and you go for three, four hours without a bite. And you're like, <laughs> maybe I should go to the bank. Maybe I should do something different. Maybe I should throw it, you know, uh, go, go check out those pads out. Maybe I should do that. And then you, 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 you abandon time away from doing yeah. it. You know what I mean? And he gives himself the full daylight to dark of practice each day doing that. And he just increases his odds of finding that money spot. And he has found another one for sure. Good for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was just a, a good lesson anyways. And the tournament's still going. So we'll see. We'll tell you guys last there next week, how it ends up. If you want to watch it on live, it'll be uh, live tomorrow again, the next two days on major league fishing. Um, we do have a couple uh, listener feedbacks, a couple questions. One of the questions was in regards to that rough water episode we did. We had a, a, a great listener who sent us some questions before he asked, He's thinking about fishing the U.S. Open as a co-angler, and he's just curious on how he might be able to prepare himself or condition himself for being prepared physically and with equipment for, you know, going into a tournament on a big body of water where it might get rough, and he's going to have to fish multiple days in that. And it's, it's a good question. I don't know if, if I've got a lot of, like, advice on how to prepare for that physically outside of, like, actually getting in it a little bit do you guys muscle relaxers <laughs> sit-ups <laughs> ibuprofen <laughs> no he's that's a legit question though i i remember fishing a um god what was it aba championship with john murray like in 1993 92 somewhere long long time ago and he had a, uh, a Skeeter boat and you sat in it just a little bit different than I was used to sitting in my boat. And at the end of that tournament, my abs hurt so bad just from, oh. you know, sitting there, but, um, and it was, you know, extremely rough water and stuff. And we ran a, a long ways, but yeah, as a, there's nothing worse than being a non-boater in rough water, especially <laughs> I, I'm just being, I mean, dude, ask my brother from Saturday. <laughs> Yeah. Because I suck at driving a boat, so it was nice for him. <laughs> well, the dude, the dude with the steering wheel in his hand, has, he anticipates to what, hold on to. what's yeah. going to happen. And, and yeah. um, the non-boater, you're just kind of hanging <laughs> on. But try to be as loose as you can. Try not to tense up because that makes everything hurt a lot worse. Um, so, I don't know. Other than a good life jacket and uh, hold on. Life so. jackets, life insurance, have yeah. a good time. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Just that's, I mean, that's, that's about it really. Yeah. I don't know if there's any actual exercises or anything like that. And then the one thing I'll say too, is just on the heat, you know, like it, uh, it, just, just taking, and we're talking rough water here, but um, fishing in the sun, daylight to dark in the wind, stuff like that. Like it's real easy to get caught up in the fishing and, not cover up from this like forget to cover up from the sun forget to drink enough water don't wear yeah don't put chapstick on your lips just all those little things man and you are a rag doll by the end of the week like yeah get some sleep the night before drink a bunch of liquids drink while you're out there on the water wear sunscreen you know cover yourself up with good clothes uh bring your rain gear and if it's going to be rough wear your rain gear don't don't say oh i don't think it's quite you know if you're if you're like I, maybe I should or shouldn't put my rain gear on for this run. Like if you got time, throw it on dude, because 
it's way better than getting soaked and uh, just taking, taking care of yourself on all those aspects. That way you're not hurting by the third day and you're not, you're not, you know, thinking about your cracked lips and your sunburn and, and uh, have headache because you didn't drink enough water. Just, you know, making sure that you're comfortable yourself will, will pay off at the end of the tournament when, uh, when some other guys are hurting and you feel good. True that. Yep. I agree. And just know you're going to have a great time because that'll be a lot of fun. Yep, exactly, man, exactly. Uh, another good one we had, and I think we talked about this off air. We didn't talk about the whole the boat hull color, did we? No, I don't think so. On okay. air, we didn't. Yeah, so um, another listener is about to order a new boat, and he is asking if we have any opinions on the bottom color of your hull and whether or not certain colors can negatively affect fish but you know uh, typically you see white and black hull colors once in a while you'll see these crazy colors which i don't um i wouldn't do that but between white and black i've always had black boats on the bottom how about how about you guys yeah a lot of my boats have been black on the bottom and the the main reason for that is it just looks sharp on the trailer um Dude, Rob, didn't you tell me though that you had one time taken like a bunch of one inch stickers of threadfin shad and then <laughs> applied them to try and look like a huge school of bait near the it's, surface? It's funny you say that. It wasn't me, it was someone else no, on it. Was it. You. Sure. Hilarious though. This guy shows up. The, <laughs> the guy fished all the wand bass tournaments. I wish I could remember his name, but he always ran a champion and he shows up with this 21 foot champion with one and a half inch shad stickers <laughs> a million of them on the bottom of his boat this is and, before the wrap days too probably. yes before the wraps and, and his whole apply. bottom of his boat is a school of shad it was awesome <laughs> and he's fishing and all day long he goes boom, boom, yeah boom. <laughs> <laughs> well dude he didn't Faster need a, trying to eat a, his boat yeah he didn't need a hydro wave bro he was the hydro wave yeah if we have any west coast listeners that remember that guy's name let us know because i can't <laughs> It was awesome. He he was a staple at every Western tournament, so I should know his name, but I can't remember it. So that's hilarious. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean it's a it's a legit question, and, and and the listener actually even did in the in the comment he mentioned like he he's thinking white might look look more like the sky and blend in a little bit better, and I mean that's probably true. I just don't know how big of a deal it is, man. I I personally don't think it's a big deal, and I'd rather have the sharp like Rob said. I like the way that black bottom looks. I think it looks cooler and um little resale value added in there probably yeah, i don't right? know i think so probably i think more people like to look at that black bottom and i mean black looks dirty like white but man that that white when you get a scum line on it and stuff it just shows that white, white shows so much when it comes to you know scratches and, and yeah. just stains and stuff like that i i'm a big fan of the black word um and i think that does it for those one, hey, one other or you go, go ahead, ahead, Josh. I have a little wild card that I forgot to tell you before we started recording. So send let it. me yeah, finish. Send it. What is it? Uh, so kind of going back to the random things that we talk about on this podcast that are completely non-fishing related. It's amazing anyone hangs with us. You guys rambled about F1 racing. And have you watched I, it? I didn't watch it because I'm above that. No, I'm just kidding. No, we had a listener write in and uh, she wanted to glean some information to us and let us know that Sweet. actually Mario Andretti um, is considered an American driver, even though he was born in Italy um, and just kind of went on to tell us how uh, she gave some back. I should just forward it to you guys. It's a little bit more applicable, but it was confirming to know that uh, 
you guys aren't the only ones watching that. And, uh, um, there's at least one other person that loves it as much as you do. Sweet. Well, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that note. That, that is interesting that he's American born and he's, uh, I mean, I've heard that name for sure. Right. I mean, everyone has, he's probably the Wayne Gretzky or Tom Brady of, uh, of F1 racing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so she says, so now I'm reading it again, goes on to say that there are actually, she's a Canadian transplant living in California and proudly said that there are two Canadian drivers on the uh, circuit. Apparently Stroll drives for Aston Martin and, yep. uh, um, and Latifi drives for Williams. So there you go. Interesting. They, they cool. show Stroll again. a bunch in the, in the, in the docu-series basically. Yeah, his dad, his dad is like a Canadian billionaire, and um, That's what definitely she said, seems yeah. like his money got him in. But he seems like a pretty legit driver. Like he, he, he definitely doesn't get embarrassed out there to to the other guys, right? For sure. That's so pretty cool. cool. It's it's fun having that interaction, man. Like it's just uh, one of the super gratifying things about doing this. That uh, it's pretty cool. We it's like the best it. part of it, honestly. Oh, dude, thousand you know, it's, percent. It's the best part. I'll take your hundred really percent and raise it to a thousand. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and one you. funny yeah, th- thing that we could, sorry, have people write in about is, uh, uh, we, we've touched on this a few times in the past, but how about like amazing backlash stories? I had one like epic one with my brother on Saturday. Cause as we were, you know, he's waving a wet noodle in hurricane forest winds. And, uh, I, I was getting ready to just unload, uh, on a, on a big boy cast and we, we touched, and Ooh. luckily, you know, <laughs> it was one, dude, one of my real, it was one of my reels that, you know how you have ones that like are really forgiving. And then you have other ones that like, they just like, it's just like game over. Yeah. Luckily it was on one of my forgiving reels. And so it was like theatrical and extreme looking, but it was, it was, I had it picked out in a couple of seconds. It wasn't bad, but it was graphic because like we were both full graphic. load and with a fly rod, you know what I mean? Like he's got 300 miles of stuff going on and, uh, it just makes you smile. That's just one of those fun things when you're fishing with people and you, uh, you uh, have massive explosions in your reels. So if anyone has a good story, please share that with us because those are some of the funnest things to laugh about. That's a great <laughs> call. Yeah, a good picture to go with a good yeah. story, just a good story in general. I think we've all, you know, maybe caught a fish after uh, a big backlash or something like that. But um, or you know, borrowed a buddy's reel, you yeah. know, and, and done it to a buddy's reel. That's yeah. that's always a fun one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just just blow up twenty twenty dollars worth of line. Sorry, buddy. And just had him back to back. Hey, sorry, this doesn't work. Something's wrong with it. I'll go back to using mine. <laughs> There's always Rob the clients guy, the never guide do that. Client. And no, yeah. you know, we hate to bag on guide clients, but like. There's always the guide client that's like, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, I use Throw baitcast. Bait I prefer baitcast all the time, and <laughs> and you try so hard to really feel them out first, and. And, and more often than not, you give in and you just know that any reel that they use, that line is is toast after the uh, garbage bound. Day. Yeah, you better have a reel with mono on it to, to try the first few casts because it's a little it's cheaper a than a reel full of fluorocarbon. Oh, man. So good. That's funny. That's a good one, Nick. Um, yeah, send those in. Next up, we've got – I don't know who had sent it to us. It might have been uh, – one of us, but who, oh, oh, Dave Katz, our buddy Dave Katz sent us the picture of the fawns. Oh. What's his yes. name? Uh, Henry Winkler? Yes. Is that his name? Yes. Yep. He posted a picture holding a trout. He had gone fly fishing, and that poor dude, 
got roasted by all of his fans for going out. Not all of them. And I think, okay. And I think he handled it well. Like he didn't even respond to those folks, which is awesome. A guy at that level out enjoying himself fishing and then taking a beating from just weirdos from Hollywood. So yeah, continue Josh. I I don't know. And, and, I don't know. I guess like some of them just are anti-fishing, right? Like oh. anti-fishing. The yeah. folks in that spotlight. Okay, it's, it's not cool. It's it's sad. Like it's it's sad how a lot of them have like, I, I've heard on other podcasts and and uh, just from some hunters that there are a lot of celebrities that hunt that don't dare admit that they hunt. They keep it completely under. Like uh-huh. uh, Steve Rinella had said on his podcast, Meat Eater, that that uh, so, some like super super mega famous actor had called literally called his cell phone and said hey man he calls calls her home phone his wife his wife answers and she's like hey it's uh so and so he wants to talk to you and he's like whatever they're not trying to call me you know and he picks up and it's actually him and he just wanted to bs with him about hunting for a couple hours they talk forever and then he's like hey just please don't tell anyone that i called you and talked about hunting <laughs> Isn't that a bummer though? It's Think about terrible, it. Dude. It is terrible. Yeah. But a couple, a couple other noted, uh, crazy famous people that love to fish the rock constantly posting pictures, catching awesome. bass out of his pond constantly. with his kids. Yeah. It's yep. awesome. It's great. Yep. He's the, he's so lovable. He, can you, he is. can you read a couple of those comments that were on, um, the Fonz's deal? Do you I have don't that? Even have them pulled up, man. Do you, Let me see do if you, I can, can pull it up. up. Just yeah, okay. keep talking. I'll see if I can't find it. Uh, another one is Chris Pratt from Jurassic Park and all. Uh, uh, what's that series that he's in that was really funny? Um, Park and Rec, Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Randy Moss. Loves oh, Randy Moss fish. likes to fish, huh? <clears throat> Dude, cool. he's down at Okeechobee bass fishing every week. Nice. Yep. Okeechobee yep. too. Those fish get mossed constantly, dude. Yeah. Hey. All right. Here's a good one. I'm going back to poor Mr. Winkler's uh, fly fishing debacle. It says, and leave it to a human to disrupt the beauty, <laughs> to take a selfie, to post on Twitter, to get likes. Imagine if that fish held you underwater to get a selfie. Please don't encourage this. <laughs> that person oh, needs to go away. Dude, it was Deborah. So she's Karen's sister. Nice. Somehow. A picture of you holding a dead animal you did not have to kill doesn't match your sentiments. <laughs> I hope you put that beautiful fish back in that beautiful water to continue to live a beautiful, peaceful life. Death to any animal is not beautiful. Wow. Take a photo. Don't rip an animal out of its natural environment with a hook through its face so you can feel something. Honestly, fishing is weird, man. Well, I beg to differ. Josh, Josh, tomorrow, I hope you rip a bunch of animals out of their natural environment with a hook in their face. That's, Thanks, man. Yeah. You're about yeah. to be canceled, Rob. Cancel culture is coming for you. I appreciate <laughs> it. That is, it, it's crazy, man. Yeah, we live, in a, we live in a different world than a lot of folks. I wonder if all those folks writing are vegans or if they get uh, their meat yeah. from Safeway. Well, it it's more humane like that. that way, right? Meat yeah. just comes on cellophane and styrofoam. Hilarious crazy yep but uh anyways it is cool i mean it is cool to see uh to see folks like that get enjoyment out of fishing just like us yep yeah and it's it's one of those sports that 
it's also like you can do it as a kid and, and look at, look at him now. He's probably in his seventies and he's still tearing it up. And uh, hopefully we're all the same way, man. It's just, it's just a, there aren't a lot of activities that you can get so much fulfillment and enjoyment out of for your entire life like that. You bet. It's and awesome. it's kind of cool. Like, I don't know how many other activities there are where like you can do it late, deep into your life. You know what I mean? Like if you love That's playing it. football or basketball, you, you reach a point where it's like, mm, sorry, like you're just gonna have to watch it, you know, like, but you can fish deep, man. You can fish right up until you, you croak at 120 almost, you know, like it's, that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Pretty special sport, man. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, that's about, that's about all I had here. We got one other thing that Nick had sent last week to us and it's, 10 FAQs of bass fishing. And I'm going to pull it up right here. We've got some of them we're going to kind of glaze over and a couple of them were quite interesting. And I've never prepared here. This came from, uh, he found this, this article online, Don C. Keller. He's a certified fisheries scientist wrote this article. So, um, again, all the credit goes to him and all the blame goes to him. If you disagree or agree with any of these, FAQs. A couple of them I thought were pretty interesting though. How big does a bass have to be to spawn? His answer is I have seen bass that were seven inches and fat spawn. Usually bass will spawn when they are one year old and approximately one pound in size in the south. In reservoirs up north and streams where they don't grow quite as quickly, they will grow about six inches at one at age one and spawn at age two when they're a little bit bigger. But mm. sounds like pretty much a pound, 13 inches is the size, which could be anywhere from one or two years of age, depending on where they live, you know, what they are. What's the smallest bass you guys have ever seen on a bed? That probably 10, 11 inches, somewhere <laughs> in that range. <laughs> It's hilarious when you see like a seven. I actually had a, with an absolute dink male. Dude, he's a stud. Yeah. You know, that guy's packing. Yeah. I actually had a client one day. We were in the back of a cove sight fishing. It was a father and son and the father caught like an eight inch fish or 10, well, not eight, probably 10 or 11 inch fish off a of bed three times back to back while while his son was trying to catch one that was like three or four pounds off another bed it was pretty funny that's hilarious so, man yeah yeah hey, you a, see those 10 inches dude right there yeah you power pull down that's a guide's dream right there on the juice <laughs> that, is, that is on the juice okay how many eggs does a female have females may have from three thousand to thirty thousand eggs per pound of body weight that's Ooh. quite a variance there yeah. <laughs> usually figure about five to 10,000 eggs per pound for production purposes. Also, females usually do not release all their eggs. We have moved females that have already spawned to a new pond and then get about 30% of the 30 huh. to 40% of the eggs that we got on the first spawn. Nice. So they're, that, they're also waiting for someone to put them in a live well, drive them across the lake, go across the scales get dumped back in and then finish spawning on the other side. <laughs> smart. Yeah. Smart fish, bro. <laughs> that's an evolution. That's a, you know, that's an active evolution over the last 50 years of tournament fishing. <laughs> no doubt. How long will a bass live? Um, this one definitely, you know, we, we see it in different parts of the country, but bass in cooler areas tend to live longer. The max would be, you know, 16 to up to 20 years, although that's super rare. Crazy. 
average bass live five to 10 years. So like the ultimate extremes of that would be like hard, harsh environments for a bass to live would be like a tidal system, like the Louisiana Delta, California Delta, you get some giant bass, but it's still a hard place to live because they're in brackish water. Their water's going up and down. There's tons of predators, you know, like uh, Gerald, my buddy Gerald, who I, I room with here on tour, he lives down in Louisiana and he fishes the Delta all the time. He's like, dude, you rarely see bass over three, four pounds down there because they just don't live long. Like uh -huh. there's a hurricane that comes in. There's a alligator trying to eat them. There's, um, you know, they're living with, with in current constantly with tides coming a war in zone. and the water. It's just, yeah, dude, if that fish lives four years, it's doing good. <laughs> Whereas like I've caught some smallmouth on like Lake Michigan and it's like this, this thing is, a, you know, five pound smallmouth that's got a big old head on Lake Michigan. This is an old fish. This thing's 12 plus years old and it's, it's pretty uh, cool. It's a special thing, man, and you want to take care of that fish for fish for. Those are the funnest ones to gut, right? At the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, knock your sides off. You yep. feel so nice. good killing that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Can you guys hear me? Okay, you got fuzzy yes. for a second. You're great. Yeah, no, you're good. It's my headphones. Okay. How fast can bass grow? Last May we stocked a. We stocked a lake with two-inch tiger bass fingerlings. We came back to this lake in November and electrofished the lake, and we were recovering bass over two pounds. That's incredible. Wow. That's tiger bass. We have seen bass that were seven pounds at age two and 14 pounds at age six. Three to four pounds in one year's max. These are steroid uh, bass. That's not yeah, typical. Not typical at all. That's unbelievable. How can I tell – a Florida bass from a Northern bass. And this is a classic one, dude, because we're yep. seeing this at Roosevelt all the time. And I've got dudes telling me all the time, Oh, you can tell when you catch the Floridas where, you know, <laughs> they look so much different. They've got different markings in their tan style. lines, dude. I, I don't know about that one. I personally can't, can't tell a Northern from a Florida. And this guy agrees. He says, you can't, the only way to tell for sure is by genetic testing. Biologists usually take a fin clip and send it to a lab coloration or pigmentation is not a way to tell you guys agree totally totally agree yeah fin clippings and driver's licenses usually tell you where they're from <laughs> yeah yeah it, and that's uh yeah driver's licenses it's typical bass fishing biologists the experts that that have no uh <laughs> no true knowledge they just have bro science. Training, yeah. they can they can tell you look bro bro Those are the same guys those are the same guys that caught spotted bass out of Saguaro years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. dude, but bro yeah. science has made way more contributions than actual science. I mean, yes. we have bro science to thank for a lot of things, none yeah. of which come to mind, but I know it's it, important. It makes for fun stories <laughs> at the dinner table and, and when you're having a couple beers, that's for sure. Why do bass, this is a pretty basic one, why do bass appear to be pale in the winter? The water is usually muddier or stained in the winter. The markings of the bass are determined by some degree, to some degree by the water clarity and the color of the substrate. Clear water allows light to pass through the pupil of the bass's eye and strike the pituitary gland. This stimulates the bass to dilate special cells on the skin called melanophores, which contain melon, a black pigment. This reaction makes the blotches or barring on the bass much more distinct. That's actually uh -huh. pretty interesting on how it actually yeah. happens. Yeah. 
that's something we all knew, but it's interesting to know how that happens. It comes through their eyes. And someone figured that out, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, no kidding. Seriously. If I catch a bass on a large lake and release it, will it stay close to where I released it? And we went deep into this one. Um, and this guy, let's see what he says. One word answer, Here's maybe. A, it's about the same. He said, one study found that 90% of bass caught, tagged, and released were recaptured within 100 yards of the release point. So who knows what study he's doing, but um, it definitely seems like they're not going to instantly pick up and, and, and pack up and swim a long way. Right. Will a large mouth cross with a small mouth? This is very, very rare. But when it does happen, it's accidental. Keep in mind that they prefer different spawning habitats. The smallmouth prefer deeper rocky areas and the largemouth prefer wind-protected coves. Absolutely. The real kicker here is the bass worm is only viable for about one minute after it is released by the male. So it is unlikely to drift to an unintended partner and fertilize the eggs. Uh, yeah, you know, I've never caught a cross. I've definitely seen some at Lake Havasu. Uh, Roy's caught, caught a few really pretty ones. They look awesome. A spot is not a, a spot, a cross is not a spotted bass. That's its own species. Go ahead, Rob. I've caught a cross at, um, at Havasu. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Was it, was yeah. it cool looking? Yeah, it was phenomenal. You're just, you kind of, it freaks you out when you see it. It looks like a large mouth jumps like a small mouth and has the markings on its face, like a small mouth, you know, so kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah. What do you identify as today? Are you a small mouth or a large mouth? It's the way it negative. jumped, it identified as a small mouth. <laughs> so he's non-binary. Yeah. yeah. Demi Lovato is the day. Correct. can be, a bass can be too, bro. That, that's a Demi bass. <laughs> <laughs> or if they can be. So can bass can be, they can be as well. I they pronoun they. dog. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're bad at this. I'll politically correctify you. Thank you. Correctify you. <laughs> Dude, uh, I think our, I think our audio is all over the place today. Do you agree? Yeah. Everything's well, our, It matches our topics. So we'll be fine. Yeah, Perfect. This is an Perfect. absolute classic episode. Just absolutely worthless on, <laughs> on all uh, topic value and audio quality so we apologize <laughs> and the quality brought to, you, brought to you by hercules tires <laughs> yep sorry hercules uh okay does it hurt the population to catch bass off spawning bed let's see what he says i've seen some studies on this and i've i've seen in these studies they they did a big presentation for us before a saint john's tournament in florida once a game and fish officer came in and read the results of the study and what they had found was it does not significantly hurt the population. It may have a very, very minor impact, but they did some really controlled studies in ponds and stuff like that. And it did not have a, a major impact that was like, that was noticeable. Let's see what this guy says. What difference does it make if you remove a female in February prior to spawning or remove her in April as she is spawning? Valid point. Spawning bass are not that easy to catch. Most private lakes are under-harvested and should have more bass removed so there will be more food available for to fatten the remaining bass. Cool. Makes sense. Just like deer, man. You get too many deer in, in certain places and they're all little tiny ones. Stunted. And the places where they really know how to manage the population, they're a lot bigger and bass fishing is no different. Yeah, Lake Powell is an example of that. They're, I think the smallmouth limit's like 20 fish a day. Like you don't, you don't see that anywhere, but they're trying to thin out the, the numbers to get some quality in there. Yeah. So. You can't catch enough. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't quote me on that number, but I'm pretty sure it's twenty it's a day. Or, yeah, it it's, has it's been. High. Yeah, so they need that on on some other lakes as well for sure. That's yeah. pretty. It'll be interesting to see if that makes a difference. But dude, Powell's such a massive body of water; it doesn't get yeah. any fishing pressure. Every exactly. dude that, that goes fishing there could take twenty out, and it still is like it's it's not a drop true. in the bucket. Yeah, we'll see though. Maybe it'll help. I mean, that's a that is interesting. And then last one are bass strictly sight feeders. We know that's a no, but let's see why. Bass have senses of sight, smell, hearing, and touch. They can pick up by vibrations in water by nerve cells in their lateral line and can pick up higher frequency sounds by their inner ear or otolith. This allows them to feed in muddy water and at night. Bass can smell and taste. We train our bass at American Sport Fish Hatchery to eat a pelleted salmon diet by first getting them to eat krill, which they can smell and taste. We then transition them to feed to a feed that has a high content of fish meal, which they can detect. They won't eat catch fit, catfish food, which has a lot of soybean meal. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. They're smart enough to know, like, nah, that's the fake stuff. We'll hold out. We don't need that nastiness. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Well, that was cool, Nick. That was a good find, man. It's it's interesting to hear from a biologist perspective on why uh, they behave certain ways, man. And, and sometimes that perspective can make things you've noticed on the water kind of click a little bit better. Yeah, it's true. And with that, I think that about closes up all the topics I've got. Anything else uh, you guys have before we wrap this one up? Not really. Good luck tomorrow. We'll be yeah. definitely watching. So thank hope you. To see, hope to see you on Wednesday out there. Appreciate it big time. Thanks uh, to you guys for, you know, uh, following all week. And uh, also a lot of the listeners uh, wrote me good luck messages this week. So I appreciate that big time. Thanks for listening. If you've made it through this entire episode, we will try to figure out what's going on. We're going to, we're going to work on our mics this week and our, we'll get some new power cords and stuff like that and uh, figure out we've had, we've had pretty good luck lately of having consistent audio and randomly all three of us have massive issues right before this episode. So Hopefully this one sounds okay, but as always, thanks again. Hope you guys have a great week and uh, we will be back at you next Monday. See you everybody.